Welcome back to the story of your own adventure. This is Nth Stalemate Test. Let's get this trolley crash rolling. As the title says, this is part two. Feel free to stick around even if you didn't listen to the first part, I guess. <laughs> it all makes a circle anyway. So, where was I, right? Let's rewind just a little bit. So, we are going to talk about competence. And it is definitely one of those concepts which many people understand the definition of the word but don't always understand the depth of the idea. It doesn't necessarily come with time, right? It requires critical thinking and effort and self-reflection to really get there. Doing a thing for an extended period of time does not inherently make you good at it, especially if you fall back into, let's call it repetitive patterns of behavior, right? It's possible to get trapped in the habit of doing a thing inefficiently if you stop trying to find better ways to do that thing just because the inefficient way technically works, right? Some people will return to an inefficient method over and over again if it doesn't immediately harm them or cause an explosion or something, right? There is nothing that I could say to you that is guaranteed to make you competent, and all I got for you right now are words, <laughs> which can sometimes be kind of funny, if not tragic, to watch the people to whom words are just words, not ideas, so they fall on their face even after you told them about the banana peel. The things that I will continue to repeat might help you on your way, but to actually become competent is your half of our math equation, and it is vitally important that you put in the effort to figure out what competence truly means, because the truth is, that it's often difficult to see where the line is between competence and incompetence until a good while after you have already crossed that line. And the side effect of that truth is that incompetent people usually cannot identify who is actually competent and who is not, because they themselves don't know what it looks like. <laughs> and then we get back into essentially the same problem that I continue to bring up, right? Everybody wants to feel competent, and the realization that you don't know something or are lacking in some skill, well, that realization is unpleasant for certain kinds of people. <laughs> for the people that don't understand where the line is between competence and incompetence, well, they see it as an ambiguity, right? So they tell themselves that they must be competent, and then often they can't be convinced otherwise, right? You tell yourself a story. <laughs> and I've mentioned before the problems with saying big ideas simply. And this is a prime example, right? There really are lots of people who don't understand that they don't understand, who refuse to understand that they don't understand. So, I've got a Rubik's Cube for you, right? See, <laughs> see, I'm a teacher at heart, right? One of the things that I love doing when I'm teaching a student is to give them an idea and to watch them engage with it. <laughs> for a long time, I've thought of doing this is as if I've put down a Rubik's Cube in front of the person to see how they try to solve it, right? I'm looking at their method of how they turn that idea over in their mind, how they pick it apart, how they approach it from different angles, how they connect it to the rest of their understanding of the world. It's not about their solution. Well, okay, <laughs> it's not about their solution unless they've used a bad leap of logic, right? This Rubik's Cube is a metaphor for an idea, and most people don't solve a Rubik's Cube on the first try. You have to 
be practiced at solving certain kinds of puzzles to get to the point where you might actually be able to solve them right away, right? And as a teacher, the other reason that it's usually not about their answer is because for many ideas, right, for many of these imaginary puzzles, they don't necessarily have a correct answer. That's why it's so important to watch how they try to engage with the puzzle, because as a teacher, my job is to try to help with the puzzle-solving process, not necessarily that they got the right answer, right? I'm trying to teach them how to solve puzzles. <laughs> anyway, so, I've got a Rubik's Cube for you. It's a puzzle that you need to figure out. <laughs> but, due to the limitations of my selected medium here, I can't watch you solve it. So you'll just have to be honest with yourself. <laughs> and don't lie, because you're not lying to me, right? You're only lying to yourself if you're lying. So, here it is, the Rubik's Cube. It's a three-parter, right? Have you noticed that there seem to be an awful lot of people with no common sense these days? <laughs> right? It is wild out here. And even worse, have you noticed that a lot of those people with no common sense are the ones who are most loudly asking why everybody else seems to have no common sense? <laughs> Boy, isn't that frustrating, right? But you and I just said exactly that, right? We said lots of people have no common sense, which is a thing that the people with no common sense sometimes say without realizing the irony. So is it possible that the people with no common sense might be us? Hmm. That little puzzle is something worth thinking about. It is difficult to truly know if you're competent. <laughs> For most people, there isn't some identifiable click when you cross that line. But we do need to figure out where that line is. And a good place to start exploring an idea is often by addressing the purest example. Right? I'm going to preface the next part of what I'm going to say here because I'm going to use the word incompetent a lot. And... Obviously, that has a negative connotation. Throwing it around so casually might seem like a weird thing for me to do, right? Especially when secretly the thing that I want is for you to enjoy figuring out when you don't know something, right? So maybe that's a little weird for me to use the word incompetent so <laughs> casually. Um, but the idea of incompetence and how we feel about it are some of those ugly things that I mentioned before that we have to look at, right? Don't, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Do not shoot the messenger. Anybody can be uninformed and not realize it, myself included. <laughs> that one I know for sure. I, I have been in that spot where I'd had no idea that I had had no idea, right? <laughs> but especially so, right, this can definitely happen because... It's possible to be well-informed and well-reasoned in regard to certain subjects, but be incompetent in others. You might know a lot about regional history or classic cars or your job and know next to nothing about, I don't know, game theory or philosophy or <laughs> superior medieval siege weapons. <laughs> if you're not careful, your brain will use the transitive property on those ideas, right? It's possible to accidentally assume that because you're really competent about some things, that you are therefore also competent at other things. That's why it's so important 
to be able to recognize what you don't know. Because that's how we learn, right? You switch over to learning mode and you start adding new information to your data banks, right? But you can't switch over to learning mode unless you're able to identify when you don't know something. <laughs> Which is made all the more difficult because you don't know what you don't know. On a related note, it would be silly to have inflexible opinions about a subject if you don't know much about it, right? Well, we gotta talk about incompetence, because not knowing stuff has become so stigmatized that some folks seem to be deathly afraid of showing any doubt or weakness in their opinions, right? They stop learning because they're defending what they do know tooth and nail for reasons that involve a civil engineering metaphor that I'm gonna make later, right? It'll be good, just wait for it. <laughs> We gotta talk about incompetence, because we need to destigmatize it just a little here so that people can escape the cycle, right? I'm gonna talk to you about incompetence because I care about you. And remember, we're starting with the purest example, right? This is a hypothetical person who genuinely does not understand a thing that they have strong opinions about, right? There are people that are like that. We need to understand incompetence so that we can eventually contrast it against competence, right? We've talked previously about how there's a, a fine line between courage and stupidity, right? And to know where that line is, you have to understand both ideas. Well, in the same way, there's a line between competence and incompetence, and that's what you gotta figure out how to find. For now, I've removed all of the real-world details from this system that I'm going to tell you about, right? And I am not accusing anybody of being incompetent here in this early part of end stalemate test. <laughs> and the reason why I'm comfortable doing that right now is that both sides of many disagreements think that the other person is doing what I'm going to describe, and we need to look at the structure of what is happening, right? The people who are most likely to be offended by even a friendly, earnest guy trying to talk to them about incompetence are the incompetent people, because they're afraid that it's them that I'm talking about. <laughs> Insecure people can't talk about their insecurities, right? <laughs> As we go through this, think about how and why you feel the way that you feel about what I'm going to say. Be mindful of your feelings, young Padawan. <laughs> so, here's a hint regarding incompetence, and this is big. Remember what I said earlier, incompetent people generally cannot identify if someone else is competent or not. But the thing they can reliably identify is when someone is disagreeing with them. Aha! That they can figure out. And I gotta say that again because it is so very important. Even if you are saying something that is objectively reasonable, truly incompetent people are the way that they are, often because they aren't practiced at identifying good reasoning and learning new things. They can't identify if what you're saying is good reasoning or not. They just recognize that you're disagreeing with them, so they start to argue to defend their answer. This is huge to understand, right? Because some people do not understand the difference between a good faith debate and arguing and there is a big difference. Some people only participate in discussions so that they can declare their beliefs. They do not go in with the intention to explore a different perspective or learn something new. And that's why disagreeing with incompetent people often makes them stop thinking about what you're saying. 
Most people think that their beliefs are rational and competent, right? That's completely normal. But sometimes it's not because they actually understand the subject at hand. Sometimes it's because they're repeating the answer of a person or group that they respect. They see themselves as being competent because for whatever reason, they like the answer, they agree with the answer that someone that they see as competent arrived at, even if they don't fully understand the underlying reasoning, right? Or perhaps that thing has been repeated so often that they believe that it must be true. Trying to discuss the minutiae of the pros and the cons of their reasoning or of other reasonings is something that they might not be interested in learning, and they might not even know enough about it to really keep up with the conversation. The longer they try to really think about what the other person is saying, right, if that person is well-informed, the longer they're forced to look at how little they really understand, which they don't like doing. Sometimes people become incompetent specifically because they don't like feeling incompetent, which they associate with not knowing stuff. They don't like looking at how little they know. It makes them feel incompetent, sometimes accurately. <laughs> so they use a shortcut. They know that you're disagreeing with their answer, and they believe that answer because they see it as something that a competent person would agree with. Therefore, because you're disagreeing with them, it must be you who is incompetent, and that's enough justification for them to stop genuinely trying to understand you. <laughs> Let me clarify this again, right? This situation that I've just described is not the only way that incompetence manifests itself, right? There are less extreme variances of this pattern, and it is not always as clean-cut as this <laughs> hypothetical example that I've created in a vacuum with zero details. But what I've described is the structure of one of the more prevalent patterns of behavior that causes a person to stop learning. Somebody else gave them an answer, so that person never had to develop the skills related to solving the question for themselves. And if they were ever to realize that they don't really understand it, they would feel bad. So either consciously or subconsciously, they avoid making that realization. As always, understanding how this happens doesn't make you immune to it, right? Not you and not me either, and I'm the one teaching you about it. So I'm going to do a scary thing here, and I'm going to get you to think in reverse. We are going to look at this same structure from the point of view of a person who doesn't understand a thing, but they think that they do. So let's pick a thing that hopefully nobody believes so that nobody thinks that I'm targeting them. Right. So, imagine that there's a person that thinks that the moon is made of cheese. <laughs> That's obviously untrue, right? Can we agree on that? The world has better answers and wrong answers, and this is a wrong answer, right? The moon is not made of cheese. But there are people in the world that believe stuff that is equally as ridiculous. The important thing to realize here is that what I'm about to do still works even if you replace the cheese moon belief with another less obviously untrue belief about the world, right? It's still true even for common misconceptions that people can sometimes have. So, that person who thinks that the moon is made of cheese believes that they're competent, right? Put yourself in their shoes. <laughs> Shouldn't be hard, right? Just about everyone thinks that they have a pretty good understanding of how stuff works. 
right? If you knew that one of your beliefs was untrue, well, you hopefully wouldn't continue to believe that thing. So, anyway, right? Cheese Moon Guy sees himself as being equally as informed, if not more informed, than all of these other people who think that the moon is made out of rocks or whatever. (laughs) But when he tries to convince other people that the moon is made of cheese, people just can't keep up with his reasoning, right? Everybody else just seems to not know enough about the world. (laughs) The world is complicated, and he's got the real, deeper understanding of it. If only people would pick up a book and learn that the moon was put there by the alien lizard people controlling the government as foretold by the horoscopes. (laughs) Or whatever his reasoning is, right? This is intentionally silly. The world is complicated, but people can be wrong in complicated ways. (laughs) Anyway, that's what Cheese Moon Guy tells himself, right? He tells himself that he has more information than everybody else because he knows about the alien lizard people. Therefore, he reasons, It must be him who has passed that line into the world of real competence, right? He believes that he knows things that other people don't know. And when he tries to talk to people about the underlying ideas that support his belief, they just stop listening. (laughs) They're not trying to understand why his reasoning might have merit or why he might have something valuable to say. They automatically disagree with him, and then they repeat the same talking points that all of these other sheeple repeat because none of them actually understand. Or so it appears from his perspective. (laughs) That's the real problem with all these people that think the moon is made out of rocks, he tells himself. It's just how certain they are. (laughs) They can't admit that they don't know, even though they haven't been to the moon, so they just keep repeating what they've heard over and over again. Every time I show them new evidence that the moon isn't made of rocks, they invent new reasoning so that they're always right. It's like playing whack-a-mole. Does that sound familiar? Right? Okay, back to reality here, right? The the moon is not made of cheese, but do you see what I'm doing here, though? Right? It's important to be able to see how that guy understands the world because he's using the same reasoning structure that we were using before, but instead as justification for why he is the one who is actually competent, right? Below a certain level of competence in a particular subject or below a certain level of critical reasoning, well, from that person's perspective, it can look like what's really happening is that it's everybody else who is incompetent. Do you know what confirmation bias is? It's a kind of cognitive bias, and we'll talk about that in depth another day, right? But, But the easy way to explain confirmation bias is that a person will find what they're looking for. If you're really sure that the Illuminati are really what's causing all of the world's problems, well, you might start seeing triangles everywhere and then take that as proof that you're right and it is the Illuminati who's causing all the problems, right? The information you're finding, right, in this metaphor, the triangles, right, but the the information that you're finding might really be evidence that something else is happening. But you might not be able to figure that out because you're jumping to a conclusion, At its base function, your brain is an organic, pattern-recognizing machine. If you are not careful, you can draw patterns in all kinds of ways that are not necessarily accurate. Your brain's pattern recognition is an automatic function. Unless 
you actively choose to manually push back against that tendency. And as we've learned before, automatic functions like this are a part of your paradigm. The way we look at the world. It's possible for a person to be looking for evidence to support a pattern, even if they don't realize it, right, subconsciously. If they're not careful, confirmation bias can lead them to all kinds of false positives which reinforce that pattern as an active part of how we see the world, even if it's inaccurate. That's why it's so difficult to explain to <laughs> the moon is made of cheese guy why he doesn't understand. Because he is so very uninformed, to him, you are the one who looks like you're saying something outrageous, right? He spent however long adding false positives to his pattern. But to him, they don't look like false positives, right? They look like a mountain of evidence for why he's right. Therefore, it's you who are refusing to doubt yourself because you're so certain that he's wrong and you're right. Reasonable and well-informed looks like unreasonable and uninformed to someone with low competence and high certainty. And this happens specifically because if a person doesn't have strong critical reasoning skills, they can reason to themselves incorrectly that they're really good at critical reasoning. <laughs> oh boy, irony is going to kill all of us. Okay, look, are you starting to understand what I meant when I said that your understanding of the world is relative to you as the observer? Right? This isn't even the tip of the iceberg. I'm telling you that ice exists. Everyone understands their own reasoning. You wouldn't believe a thing if you knew that it was untrue. So we have a natural tendency to define common sense as being whatever way that we see the world. That's what common sense is to us. So, for individual weirdos thinking that the moon is made of cheese, well, you know, maybe we could eventually teach them to understand, or, I don't know, at least just ignore them. But... Imagine what it might look like from the perspective of a person who believes one of the more common misconceptions. <laughs> I will let you fill in what I might mean by common misconception for now, but the same thing can happen, right? From their perspective, it can look like it's everyone else who just doesn't understand. But trying to help that person to learn can have the additional complication of what I would call social momentum. Right? Social groups can form around people's tendency to associate with other people that agree with them. So to help a person in one of these groups to understand that they don't understand, you would also have to get them to realize that perhaps a lot of the people that they respect might also not understand. Peer pressure is a real thing, and social acceptance is a powerful driving force for a lot of people. There are all kinds of harmless and completely normal social connections formed around a person's worldview, right? But the most dangerous kind of groups are the ones specifically based around the idea that anyone who doesn't agree with them is evil and stupid. That has all of the same problems, but now it's three levels deep, right? The very thing that they believe, their unifying understanding of the world, is that any person who might actually help them understand a different perspective is inherently a dangerous threat. 
if it doesn't support what the group already believes, that person or that piece of information is automatically regarded with suspicion and hostility. This is how cult followings form. And I'm not talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> okay. Let, let me come back from a little bit from that line of reasoning for now, right? Those are additional layers that are making the specific conversations difficult, right? But for now, let's keep this personal, right? We'll, we'll start down again at the scale of one person, a single individual. And a thing that is true for most individuals is that they want their opinions and beliefs to be taken at least as seriously as everybody else's. But, depending on the opinion, that's not always a reasonable thing to ask for, right? There is such a thing as a wrong answer. <laughs> See, there's an important difference between an opinion and an informed opinion. Let's do movies. Lots of people like movies, right? If I asked you, what is the most influential movie ever made? There are lots of good answers, particularly because the word influential can mean so many things. One of the classic answers to this question is a movie called Citizen Kane, and I'm not here to agree or disagree with that answer, but the answer to that question, right, what is the most influential movie ever, is almost definitely not M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> I'm sorry for several reasons if you did really like that movie, but Avatar The Last Airbender the movie just really is not a reasonable candidate for the most influential movie ever made. I mean, okay, look, that that is an opinion that you could theoretically have, but it would take some rather extraordinary reasoning for that opinion to be taken seriously, right? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and if such evidence exists... I, at least, am unaware of it at this time, right? That is about as nicely as I can put that. <laughs> you, you know what? Can you give me just a minute here? Can you forgive me for just a moment? I'm going to be a human being and be just a little bit petty, right? I, I know we're doing something important. I know, but just humor me, right? <laughs> Mr. Shyamalan, are you kidding me? The show, The Last Airbender is some of the finest source material you could have pulled a movie from, and it did not deserve that hatchet job. <laughs> did not deserve that hatchet job. After I saw it, I went scouring the internet for a week. A week! Looking for an apology from you. <laughs> Any admission of guilt. <sighs> you did me dirty, man. I am personally affronted by how bad that was. That could have been so good. Ah. <sighs> okay, shame immortalized. <laughs> Let me get back to what I was saying. It could be someone's opinion that Mr. Shyamalan's unfortunate adaptation was great, right? And to them, I might look like I'm being a jerk to them specifically. Well, if they pride themselves on that opinion, right? And, and especially so if they're confusing the original question for a different question, right? If they've confused it for, what is your favorite movie, right? I can't, I can't criticize, well, I, all right, there's a different kind of criticism that happens for what is your favorite movie? That that one doesn't have a wrong answer. Anyway, but, right, so, the, the question really was, what is the most influential movie? And I would say that my position is very defensible. <laughs> right? Shyamalan's Avatar definitely is not the most influential movie ever. And 
That is an opinion, even if it sounds a little bit like I'm saying it the same way that someone might say, I don't know, bishops in chess move diagonally, (laughs) right? It sounds like I'm saying it as a fact. But saying it with such certainty comes from having at least a little bit of understanding about how some movies changed the medium, fundamentally affected the history of cinema, and The Last Airbender, the movie, is not one of them. (laughs) Right? So... Those feelings that I'm being a jerk might come from the transitive property, right? I'm criticizing a movie that a person might like, therefore, they might reason, I'm criticizing their taste. Ugh. (laughs) I've fallen face first into that one before. Somebody got upset at me once that I was being dismissive about the board game Monopoly. (laughs) I mean, really, though, Monopoly is terrible. There are so many good board games now. You know, you know, at least play Settlers of Catan or something, right? It only, it only takes a little bit of awareness of how good board games are nowadays to at least be aware of Settlers. It's sort of like the new Monopoly, right? Lots of people have a copy, and it's a very basic addition to any modern board game collection. <laughs> the nice way it's different from Monopoly is that you get to make more decisions instead of mostly just moving where the dice tell you to move and then waiting for it to all be over. Ugh. Does that mean that I'm saying you have bad taste if you like Monopoly? No, no, not, no, not necessarily. Um, (laughs) But if that's one of the few board games that you're familiar with, you may not be aware of other games that are arguably, if not definitively, more interesting by the very nature of their function, right? By how you play them. They can be just as simple to learn, For a lot of the new board games, they aren't as arduously long and boring as Monopoly can be, right? (laughs) If you've ever played Settlers of Catan, then you would know that you get more interesting decisions throughout the entirety of the game compared to Monopoly, right? And (laughs) the person that I was talking to, I think, might have been suffering from some kind of board game Stockholm Syndrome or something. (laughs) They grew up playing the game, and therefore, it was something that they really liked, and They didn't appreciate me making fun of Monopoly. (laughs) The point I'm making is this, in a roundabout way, right? The less that you know about a subject, the less that you might understand how defensible an opinion really is. Right? If a person has only ever seen two movies, one being the previously discussed shameful effort by Mr. Shyamalan, and the other being, I don't know, the Emoji movie, Well, yeah, we might have an interesting debate over which of those two movies might be better or worse, but to have a discussion about the history of cinema in a competent way, well, that person who only knows two movies has some learning to do, even though I should probably also be more polite about my use of hyperbole. (laughs) Okay, that was a fun break, right? (laughs) We gotta get back to serious stuff, but the world isn't all doom and gloom, and it's important to remember that. Being on Team Good doesn't mean that you have to be grimly serious all the time. That would be miserable. (laughs) A sense of humor is a good defense as long as you keep it within a certain range, (laughs) shall we say. So, the thing that we're talking about is incompetence, right? Well, (laughs) some people just don't have a sense of humor about that. (laughs) Buttery smooth segue. Don't forget, it's difficult to know how much you don't know, and some people really do not enjoy realizing that they don't know something. If movie critiques or even (laughs) 
teasing an inanimate board game can drive people to the point of angrily digging their heels in, well, we are going to have a tough time talking about the kinds of ideas that people can sometimes willingly construct into their self-image. <sighs> we really have stigmatized incompetence to the breaking point, right? Where instead, we should be actively rewarding ourselves when we realize that the world is bigger than we previously knew. In the long run, learning something new is generally a pretty good thing even if in the short term we may end up learning something difficult about ourselves. So, it's time for another hypothetical example, right? Get your imagination space ready. It's story time. <laughs> and remember, stuff gets complicated when you add in details or specific circumstances, right? But the structure of what I'm going to say can still be true. People really do argue over stuff that is obviously untrue to someone who understands that subject just a little bit. So, what I want you to do is imagine what it would be like as a person who doesn't really understand some subject or multiple subjects, but they believe that the appearance of being uncertain makes them look bad, right? Just appearing uncertain, right? And that's I would say that's kind of reasonable, right? Knowledge is power. Some people tell themselves that when you don't know something, it's weakness. We have stigmatized incompetence. Nobody wants to seem uninformed in an age of humanity that is named after how much information we have. <laughs> people can see even uncertainty as weakness. And everybody wants their opinion to be taken just as seriously as everybody else's opinion. So, for that person who might not really understand, but also doesn't want to appear weak, well, I would guess a lot of their conversations involving a difference of opinion all go a nearly identical way. Let's walk through those steps. Person one is this person that we've been talking about who doesn't understand some subject, but actively avoids looking uninformed or uncertain because... For whatever reason, that specific subject is important to them, right? Person two is someone with some level of knowledge in regard to that subject who disagrees with person one's analysis of the subject. So, let's get intentionally silly again and say that the discussion is about how airplanes work, right? <laughs> the stuff people argue about isn't always as obviously true or false, right? Stuff is complicated, but people can be wrong in complicated ways, this is just a stand-in for a situation where there is at least one wrong answer and person one doesn't understand that, <laughs> right? Person two doesn't have to be an aeronautical engineer to know that airplanes fly using the concept of lift, right? The air moves faster over the top of a wing. It creates a low-pressure zone, which causes an upward force, blah, 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 lift, right? <laughs> so person one's knowledge is limited, but their opinion on that subject is important to them and they don't want to look uncertain. If person two understands that subject even a little bit, they might very quickly realize that person one is missing some critical information, or they may even misunderstand the hard limits of the... how the... shall we say how the chess pieces of that subject move, right? The hard limits. That's a metaphor, right? Chess pieces. I'm talking about things that are provably, or at least very defensibly, true or false. Right? The less that you know about a thing, the less you understand how defensible an opinion is. Right? That phrase is so important, I've said it twice now. So, 
when person one says that airplanes fly by flapping their wings like a bird or whatever, right? Something that isn't lift, right? Anything that isn't lift. Person two immediately knows that they don't understand how airplanes work. But if person one admits that they have a less defensible answer or admits that they don't understand the hard limits of the subject, they equate that to being some level of incompetent. And accepting any level of incompetence is unacceptable for some people. They want their opinion to be taken as seriously as everybody else's. If a person doesn't draw a very careful distinction between an opinion and an informed opinion, or if they're confusing facts and opinions, right, if they're mixing those up, well, they might be working under the assumption that all opinions on that subject are equal. Consciously or subconsciously, person one's reasoning can then become something like, well, person two's opinion is just as likely to be as mistaken as mine, and everything I know about this subject supports my belief, therefore, they must be the one who is wrong. From there, it's self-defense, in a way, right? They're trying to defend their self-image from losing face in their own eyes. <laughs> well, possibly in others' eyes, but we'll get to that, right? But not understanding a thing or having a less defensible opinion is weakness to some people, and it can come from a sense of pride in the self-image of being a well-informed person, or even pride in the self-image of having superior understanding, right? So <laughs> the two opinions, if they're not equal, which is the minimum of what they wanted, well, they don't like seeing themselves as uninformed because of that stigma around incompetence. Particularly so if part of their self-image is based around being informed about that specific subject. This is when those other layers of difficulty that we talked about come in as well, right? Stuff like social momentum, right? From person one's perspective, if family members, friends, sources of information, if they all use similar lines of reasoning to arrive at the same opinion, and it turns out that opinion is less defensible for some reason, well, by the transitive property, that whole community of people that is using that reasoning might at least be as incompetent as person one. And that could be a lot of people, right? And ascribing all of them with some level of incompetence is a high price. <laughs> this might be exactly why some people aren't comfortable with any level of apparent uncertainty. Because if it turns out they are wrong, lots of people are wrong. The more hotly contested a subject is, the more it can feel like an all-or-nothing dilemma. The danger of peer pressure is real. And some worldviews require certain opinions or beliefs to be correct to remain stable. Right? Ideas overlap and are interconnected. They build and stack on top of each other as we each attempt to create the most consistent understanding of the world that we can. If certain key beliefs are wrong, it could cause a cascade of structural failures in the fundamentals of how person one understands the world and themselves. If some other part of their understanding of the world is based on the idea that airplanes flap their wings like a bird, well, if that thing is wrong, 
then the other ideas that are based off of that idea are also wrong, right? There's other subjects that they're wrong about, which means that all those other people, their friends and family, are also wrong about more than one thing or about lots of things. Which brings us to the other layer that I mentioned. Some worldviews, and therefore some self-images, are based around the idea that other perspectives are evil or stupid or both. If that's a worldview that a person has built into their self-image, to concede a flaw in their own reasoning wouldn't just be showing weakness, it would be showing weakness to someone that they see as an inferior. For a case like that, they're not just defending their self-image from losing face in their own eyes, right, their self-image. They're also defending their outward image. They're defending it from the other person's perspective. If they back down, if they admit that the other person has a good point, they themselves would be admitting a kind of inferiority directly to that other person that they see as lesser than themselves. In a way, admitting fault would be like giving that other person, who they see as evil or stupid, the permission to see themselves as superior to them. That they cannot allow. That worldview inherently struggles to support that course of action. Try to understand the gravity of all these forces affecting person one in this situation, right? The person that doesn't understand but can't back down. Try to understand what it would take to deconflict all of these different levels that are focusing their joint pressure on that person's answer to be correct. A person's worldview is an intensely personal and profoundly abstract analysis of how and why the world works the way that it does. They can't allow themselves to be wrong, or there are huge internal and external ramifications for either their worldview or their self-image or their sense of community or all of the above. So disagreements like this in our persons one and two scenario, right? If I were to guess, their conversation probably devolves into person two giving up in frustration and condescendingly saying to person one the subject equivalent of, no, you're just wrong. Airplanes fly by using lift. I don't know why you won't believe that. <sighs> there are a lot of influencing factors to any disagreement. But if it really is person one who doesn't understand, person two is less than likely to be swayed by their opinion. Right? And it can end with no resolution and bad feelings on both sides. Person one is in a situation where it's incredibly difficult to admit any kind of fault across multiple different levels, sometimes even down to the subconscious level, right? They can be subconsciously certain that they're right. So even if person two is making strong points or is outright correct, person one sometimes cannot even make small concessions because their whole world might fall apart. They can get backed into a corner, 
and finding an escape route is easier than having to rebuild the whole world. Misunderstanding how an airplane flies doesn't normally affect the daily life of an average person, and so there's no immediate negative effect to simply continuing to believe that airplanes fly by flapping their wings. Right? It's easier to (laughs) just find some reason to continue believing that. So out come the lies, the bad faith debate tactics, and the excuses. It's just easier to accept a lie or to support a double standard or a thousand other methods to avoid having to face that internal struggle. And life seeks efficiency. Person two might have even made the problem worse, right? A debate like this is frustrating. These kinds of arguments can become explosive (laughs) and either side might resort to shaming or name-calling, which disincentivizes everyone involved from continuing to try to understand each other. And it all starts to snowball. It conditions people to respond in certain ways, right? I'm talking about psychological conditioning. If this kind of disagreement happens every time that topic comes up, it conditions people to automatically switch into self-defense mode preemptively if there is ever a disagreement. Right? That is the opposite of learning mode. Automatic mental defenses go up from the very start of a discussion, and then that person is not inclined to even consider that they might be the one who doesn't understand because they're defending themselves now. They've had this conversation a hundred times before. It always ends with shouting and their worldview being threatened, so they remain unconvinced because they were unconvinced all the previous times. To some people, words are just words, even if they're good words, words that represent ideas and clearer understanding. One understanding can sometimes be more accurate than another understanding. But for people in a situation where they can't allow themselves to be wrong, the ideas that those words represent are inconvenient. If that person chooses to remain rhetorically unconvinced by strong reasoning, they still have to come up with a reason to justify dismissing those words and ideas, even if it's just to themselves. They're still cornered by that mountain of pressure to be right. So out come the lies, the bad faith debate tactics, and the excuses. But now, it's to themselves. They will lie to themselves that they're not lying. In the short term, it's easier than having to rebuild the world. And every time new reasoning is used against them, every time there's a new angle of attack, it hardens their mental defenses. Right? The lies get more elaborate to cover holes made by the other lies. Their internal reasoning becomes ever more flexible to preserve the mental gymnastics, keeping it all from crashing down. And every new lie adds more weight to that mountain of pressure to be right. Every lie is another thing that would crash down on them in a cascade of structural failures if any part of their precariously balanced story turned out to be wrong. 
they can't allow themselves to be wrong, or they're really wrong. When this kind of situation traps lots of individual people, well, they can sometimes make up big groups of people, and the pot starts to simmer, right? More people arguing without resolution creates an even bigger community of people similar to person one. And that bigger community applies even more pressure on those individuals to be right. If they're wrong, it turns out that even more people are incompetent. The arguments get angrier, the narrative gets wilder, the worldview of a larger and larger community comes under threat. The snowball keeps rolling. For disagreements where there's a dispute at a factual basis, where there's a right and a wrong answer regarding how, <laughs> how the bishops in chess move or how airplanes fly, right? The side that doesn't understand and can't allow themselves to be wrong doesn't get to practice disagreeing at a higher level of debate. Remember our chess strategy example from part one? <laughs> that seems so long ago now. The higher level questions of debate are the ones with multiple reasonable answers. Right? The most productive kind of debate is usually when two people both have viable answers but are working together to figure out which one might be better. Right? That's how the process of understanding the world is so very different from competition debate. Right? It's not about the answer that you came in with being right and scoring points so that you can win. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about trying to learn more about the world. We are teammates trying to figure out the best move for our shared side of the chessboard. And some people don't get to practice that level of discussion, right, where two people both have a viable answer, because we can't get the discussion past the part covering the rules of the game and the definitions of the terms. Because sometimes the rules of the game and the definitions of terms are boring. And sometimes they're inconvenient to the people that don't want to understand, right? These folks that don't want to put in the hard work of understanding, but they still want to be taken seriously. So, what happens when this kind of result becomes normal, right? Where disagreements remain unresolved and the participants might walk away thinking of the other person as an opponent, rather than a teammate. What happens when that occurs regularly for lots of disagreements being had by lots of people? Well, both sides, but particularly the group that cannot allow themselves to be wrong, will simply associate even more closely only with other people that agree with them, because then their worldview isn't as threatened. <laughs> or at least there's usually a lot less shouting, anyway. Um, the fighters retreat to their corners, not as knowledge seekers searching for better answers together, but as opponents in an imaginary boxing ring as if to decide the rules of how reality works. But it doesn't matter how loud you shout or how hard you fight in that ring, most modern airplanes fly by lift and bishops move diagonally. Okay, all right, look, yes, if this was a literal chess game, you could choose to play some variation of chess where the bishops moved some other way. But there's a metaphor, right? You got to try to understand the idea I'm trying to get across. How bishops move 
is a parallel to factual stuff, or on some occasions, right, very well-supported opinions. <laughs> For example, how it's my opinion that M. Night Shyamalan once took a flying bison shit onto a camera. Ha! <laughs> Boom! That's right, I brought it up again. What a twist. Never forget. Never forgive. Tar and feather him and run him out of town. <laughs> okay, wait. Now hold on. I'm allowed to say that because hopefully nobody's going to start a fist fight over it and I'm clearly joking, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Shyamalan is a very nice guy. <laughs> he at least seems pleasant from what little I know, right? He certainly doesn't deserve genuine hate, <laughs> right? The, the sixth sense was pretty good, but just a reminder, it's okay to have a sense of humor within a certain range. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Right. What happens when this happens? Is that a reference? Am I accidentally making... <laughs> Am I accidentally making a Shyamalan reference? The happening is happening, guys. Okay, <laughs> what happens when lots of people who now see each other as opponents in a competition-style debate, sometimes with their very way of life at stake, their whole worldview, and everybody now prefers to hang out with only people that agree with them? The pot starts to boil. Echo chambers can resonate with wilder and wilder stories with nobody there to inject some sanity. And remember, if it's a disagreement over a thing at the factual level, right, the group that can't be wrong, but is wrong, doesn't usually get to practice disagreement at that higher productive debate level because they can be staunchly incapable of giving ground in any meaningful way. But that means that both sides end up only really discussing these controversial and often complicated topics with other people who already agree with them. Both sides, in a way, are deprived of proper collaborative debate practice. They are deprived of collaborative adversity, and they are reduced to a single mirror with which to see the back of their own heads, if you remember that metaphor. They aren't exposed in a healthy way to other perspectives about the world and are simultaneously through these other <laughs> processes being psychologically conditioned to outright reject them. Any sense of perspective goes out the window. There is no upper limit to the narrative if no one is making counter-arguments or if <laughs> any counter-argument is seen as a sign that the other person is hostile, evil, stupid, whatever, right? <laughs> The echo chambers echo louder. <laughs> the few people that are making those counter-arguments give up, right? As, as, as the story gets crazier, the sane people who stuck around for a little while decide they've had enough and leave. <laughs> the story gets crazier. The sense of humor leaves the reasonable range and begins to almost fetishize how stupid and evil everybody else is. Even on the side that is more correct in their understanding, right? Bad faith reasoning made by either side in the form of <laughs> hyper-simplified memes or all kinds of partisan shenanigans, well, that stuff is recirculated by the offended side as evidence that the other is irrational and hateful. The arguing continues, forcing more people to choose one side or the other and join in with the folks that are digging in their heels. The longer the fighting goes on, the more practiced both sides become at streamlining their reasoning and at finding new excuses to fill gaps in their narrative. And people 
get a lot of practice inventing defenses against the arguments that are most often used against them. That last sentence is important, right? People get the most practice defending themselves against the arguments that are most often used against them. Do you see where this is all going? If a group's opinion in our metaphorical debate here is that the best chess move for our shared team to make is, for example, queenside bishop to queen's knight one. That's what they think we should do, right? Well, if you don't understand chess, that might sound like a valid move. But the response from any person who understands chess is always going to be, the bishops don't move like that. It's not possible for the queenside bishop to move to that space. That's the most common counterargument that group deals with. So, if that group isn't really trying to learn how chess works, and they can't allow themselves to be wrong, and they want their opinion to be taken just as seriously as everybody else's, and they get the most practice defending their answer against the most common counterargument, well, <laughs> they learn to fight back against even the rules of how the pieces move, because that's what people keep trying to explain to them over and over again unsuccessfully. Those explanations of how the pieces move are inconvenient to the answer that they want to be true. So where does this all lead? Well, people will learn to argue against the statement, the sky is blue, if they think that it'll make you take some other part of their opinion seriously. In a way, it's their own fault, but it's not their fault alone. Technically, neither side is giving up, right? The folks who don't understand some subject don't know how defensible an opinion is. And the folks that do give off the appearance of having an unshakable level of certainty in the things that they most often say. The people who don't know still want to be taken seriously. Their answers are important to them. They want to be taken just as seriously as everybody else. So they attempt to assert an equal level of certainty in retaliation. This kind of circle doesn't go anywhere. It only escalates. <sighs> and it's going to get us all killed. <laughs> Here's another way to think about it. Right? This person who doesn't understand, right? They went around the circle the wrong way, and now all their math is warped, right? They solved the circle, right? The metaphorical math equation that I mentioned before, right? They're solving the Mo board backwards. Instead of first finding out who they are and then using that information to navigate the world, well, for whatever reason, they started with an answer and then they are using that answer or that sense of community or whatever to define some part of who they are. They can't allow some of their answers to be wrong, because if they are wrong, they don't know who they are. For me, at least, this is exactly the reason why I avoid saying stuff like, I believe X, and you can insert anything in that variable, right? But I avoid saying, I believe X, and there is nothing that could ever change my mind about it. Right? I do my best to not say or believe things like that because <laughs> that is just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I'm 
Though, admittedly, for a guy like me, right, I grew up in the American South, and I have religious beliefs, right, and, well, depending on your worldview regarding Southerners or religion, my saying all that might be a bit surprising to some folks. There is no single category of people to point to who is getting all this understanding the world business mixed up. There are lots of kinds of people in every group, and every group has ridiculous folks. A person's religious beliefs or their politics or where they're from is not the inherent source of our struggle to understand each other, even though it can express itself through those filters. We are going to have to actively resist the natural gravitational pull of tribalism to be able to understand each other again. That's why it's so important to keep an open mind when trying to understand the world, because it's complicated, right? And you cannot fill a cup that is already full. <laughs> People make assumptions without even realizing it. They can assume that their perception is the truth. <laughs> and we got to help people build some bigger cups here, right? You cannot fill a cup that is already full, so build a bigger cup. <laughs> there is always more to learn about the world. And that's why I avoid believing a thing so much that nothing could change my mind about it. Right? That doesn't mean that I don't believe things, right? <laughs> the moon isn't made of cheese. I believe that, right? But, I mean, I haven't been to the moon, right? If I ever managed to visit, and I put my hand down into the dirt, and I pulled up a lump of Gouda cheese, well, <laughs> that would be pretty convincing evidence that I might need to reevaluate my understanding of the universe, right? I would make sure that I'm not being pranked first, but after that, my goodness! The possibilities are endless. What else do I have misconceptions about? I want to know, <laughs> right? If there was credible evidence that the moon really is made of cheese, personally, I would be absolutely fascinated. <laughs> but take a minute to seriously consider that, though, right? Can you imagine the scientific ramifications of the moon being made of cheese? Can you imagine how much stuff we would have to relearn from the ground up just to try to explain that, right? We would have to reevaluate everything to try to explain how that much dairy got into space, let alone the tangential implications of all of those new explanations. <laughs> but that situation is what it feels like to be a person caught in that corner, trapped between denial and the collapse of their whole understanding. It feels like asking them to accept that the moon is made of cheese because that idea that you're presenting to them could be in complete opposition to their fundamental understanding of the universe. Abstract ideas are often fuzzy and in the background. They can blur together. The fuzziness blurs the lines relating massive constellations of ideas. And constellation is a pretty good word to use here, right? I don't know if you know much about celestial navigation, but it can be a bastard at best, and it is impossible if you can't figure out the longitude problem. <laughs> Look it up sometime. If you don't know where you are, and you don't work hard to carefully draw the lines relating those fuzzy ideas very clearly, you could easily relate those idea constellations in a manner that is actively navigating you further and further away from genuine understanding. To the person in that trap, right, that person that can't allow themselves to be wrong, 
they can become so very uninformed that anyone who tries to help them understand would look like that they are the one who is saying something outrageous, right? To that person who's gotten lost, their math problem forces their perspective to see it that way because their measurements are so warped. That person is being told that what they believe is outrageous, but that puts all the more pressure on them to be right because then the truth can only be one of two options. It's either that the other person who is criticizing them is really the one being outrageous, or what they're saying has some truth to it. They can't allow it to be true, or they have been making a fool of themselves. They may have even been behaving in active opposition to the virtues that they pride themselves on. (laughs) A lot of people have been making... (laughs) fools of themselves in the name of pride recently. (laughs) It's gotten so bad that there are people who are proud of how very prideful they are. (laughs) Yeah, right, try explaining the importance of humility to that person. (laughs) Man, do I know how to pick the hard jobs. (laughs) Have you ever gotten lost nearby some place that you're familiar with? Maybe you tried getting home a new way, and you got turned around, right? You're headed in some direction, thinking you're going the right way. You finally see some landmark, and where you've been for the last 10 minutes suddenly clicks into place, right? That little epiphany can be jarring. You might realize that you've been going the wrong way. Well, imagine that epiphany, but it's not just about losing 10 minutes on the way home. It's about the realization that you and the people that you care about have been looking at some part of the world upside down for who knows how long. Have you ever seen those videos of colorblind people trying on those color-correcting glasses for the first time? Understandably, some of them break down crying, right? If you were to try to hand someone a pair of glasses for their brain that might make them realize that they've been being cruel and irrational for years or decades, they might just decide to refuse to put those glasses on. Everything is relative. Raw, unprocessed perspective is relative. And from where they are right now, they might be able to falsely see others as inferior opponents. And by refusing to understand this imagined opponent, they can continue to simulate undeserved feelings of superiority. And that's why they pick denial. Misunderstanding how airplanes fly doesn't immediately hurt you, so it's easier to return to that inefficient method over and over again to maintain the illusion. But that's a metaphor, so I'll say it again. Misunderstanding the law, or the economy, or politics, or ethics, or technology, or the future, doesn't immediately hurt you. So people return to that inefficient method of not understanding those things over and over again to maintain the illusion to themselves. (laughs) And when it does hurt them, when they finally are confronted with real consequences... If they really are lost, they believe their own excuses 
and find a way to blame everyone else for their shortcomings. It's all true, even if you choose not to look at it. And I hope you do choose to stick around, because I'm not saying all this out of cruelty or arrogance. I'm reaching out to you to understand me, to understand each other, right? We need to figure out how to bring people back from this mental trap. I'm saying all this because I care about you. I care about everybody. That's just a baseline of who I am. I'm just a guy from New Orleans trying to do the right thing. And I see patterns. Patterns, for example, like how M. Night Shyamalan ruins good plots with twist endings. Ha ha! <laughs> well, I'm glad you're sticking with me again back around the circles. While I have you here, just as a polite reminder, I'd like you to notice that I'm going to do what I can to avoid begging you to subscribe and upvote and send me money or whatever, right? I just want you to bask in that wonderful absence of commercial desperation for as long as I can manage to keep it up. Personally, I dislike advertisements, and it would be pretty ironic anyway, since eventually I'm going to teach you a whole lesson about why it's important to actively resist advertising. <laughs> you are either going to leave a rating and subscribe to Nth Stalemate Test because you think this is worth other people's attention, or I guess you won't. <laughs> if you appreciate my storytelling, and you don't have to necessarily like it to appreciate it, but if you appreciate my words and my ideas, your friends might get something worthwhile out of it too. <laughs> Just make sure that you notice the unusual absence of that particular bit of annoying web personality protocol. <laughs> Alright, though admittedly, not wanting to advertise myself also comes from my own sense of pride. Right, Asking for favors or money from strangers is something that I am reluctant to do. I'll say this. There should be a method of monetary assistance hidden somewhere around here if you just so happen to pass it by with the preconceived intention of helping some poor guy not starve to death. <laughs> a man must eat. Every little bit helps. And even when money isn't an issue for me, I live a Spartan lifestyle. Anything more than what little I run on will go back towards saving the world, right? I got more than a few ideas for what to do with it. <laughs> I'll see you the next time you listen to part three. Tell everyone. <laughs>